Hello, everyone. We're back. Yeah, and we're talking about a movie I was obsessed with as a kid. Me too. And um, I kind of forgot like some parts of it, but like as I started watching it, like all these memories came flooding back yeah, to me. Man. We are talking about the Brave Little Toaster, and we actually have a fair amount of history. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. The Brave Little Toaster is an animated film based on the novella by Thomas M. Dish. Dish was a well-known Hugo Award-winning sci-fi author and poet. Now, Dish was born in Des Moines. I most likely butchered that Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. Iowa, and was homeschooled due to his mother being sick with polio. Oh, He always Man, seemed to be must have destined terrible. to work in the creative field as he worked at the Metropolitan Opera House, a bookstore, and then a newspaper. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, he unfortunately had some financial struggles and he didn't have a lot of friends. So he tried to commit suicide and he was to a mental hospital for three months. Um, I think it helped him because after feeling better, he went back to work. But he then later submitted his a short story, The Double Timer, to the sci-fi magazine Fantastic. Yeah. During that time, the sci-fi channel was going through some changes is when this decided to uh, pursue a Ryan career. The genre used to focus on pulp adventures of old and exploration. Think back to uh, Buck Rogers or Star Trek. But now mm-hmm. it's getting darker and more serious. Think of uh, Star Wars or the short story, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Yeah. Like, sci-fi was really kind of, I don't want to say cheesy, but it's like a lot of the stories were just some random guy goes to a different planet, mm-hmm. goes on, like, miscellaneous adventures. There wasn't, like, a lot of stakes. So sci-fi was just starting to get a little more serious and, like, edgy. So his first novel, The Genocide, was published in 1965. The story focuses on the cleansing of Earth by aliens who use giant plants to destroy the planet. It received critical acclaim. It was even nominated for a Nebula Award. And I think we talked about the Nebula Awards. They're, like, a big deal for sci-fi. Also, this kind of reminds me a little of, uh, what's it called? Little Shop of Horrors, just a little bit. Like, I heard the plan. I'm like, oh, I thought of Little... It makes me think of Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> and this would continue work writing. Uh, in the 1980, he would go on to write The Brave Little Toaster, which was his first children's book. And it was a hit being nominated for various awards and even written three. Best short fiction from the British Science Fiction Association. Best novelette from Lucas. And... Best Foreign Short Story from the Shuyun Award in Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. this was apparently a major hit when it came out. Now, <clears throat> with all that being said, it's really kind of odd that the film had trouble getting, like, started. So, um, disgraced ex-head of Pixar, John Lasseter, tried pitching this idea to the people at Disney with hand-drawn characters and CGI environments, but they rejected the idea saying um, it was too expensive and they ended up firing him him because of this. And they would fire him again many decades later. (laughs) (laughs) So then it moved to Hyperon Pictures with former Disney animator Jeremy Reese attached to direct it with the strip to co-wife with the late Joe Ranft. He was another former Disney animator who would go to work on Pixar several years later. Uh, yeah, he was a voice actor and story artist from a lot of the earlier films up until Cars, where oh. tragically during production, he would die in a car crash. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And he also voiced a few characters in this film, like uh, 
the oh, uh, spare parts are some owner. <gasps> oh, that's him. Yep. I am looking at. Yep. Um, he was a writer. He was also he did some storyboarding on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Oliver and Company, and Little Mermaid. Then he wrote the screenplay for The Rescuers Down Under. Um, oh, and he wrote for Toy Story too and A Bug's Life. Wow. Yeah, he did a lot of work. Now, um, okay, now who? I think it's your turn. Oh, yeah. Now, because it was a smaller production and being independent, and they would have to make some uh, cuts, you know, to meet. It that uh, indie film budget. Uh, so we saw they would outsource all the animation to Rang Film Productions in Taiwan, which actually animate a bunch of uh, TV cartoons and still for multiple companies and still to this day. And as a result, the budget for final budget was one third of compared to what was originally pitched back at Disney. Oh, wow. Yeah, outsourcing is uh, really cheap. And. Uh, mm -hmm. They got several voice actors who audition in for this film, but uh, Reese, the director, uh, wasn't impressed because a lot of voice actors gave a more cartoony and exaggerated performance for the characters, and he wanted them to sound more grounded and realistic. Mm -hmm. But that That's sometimes an issue mm -hmm. when it comes to voice acting. Some people don't take it seriously, and then they try to overplay by making it like over mm -hmm. the top. And someone suggested that uh, they, he should hire more uh, a comedian, and specifically the LA-based improv group, The Groundlings. And that way, they they figured that improv comedians will be able to give if a more convincing performance to these characters. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So actress and writer Deanne Oliver voices the toaster. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> Her most significant work is at a as was as a writer on Tiny Toons, Universal's Casper, and Animaniacs. Oh, she created the character of Chicken Boo. Yep. It was just like a big chicken who was just like in random places and nobody seemed to realize it was he like was a chicken. These guys <laughs> look like human guys. Yep. Uh, she currently works as a director and teacher at the Groundlings Improv Comedy Club. Oh wow, that's mm -hmm. actually really cool. Yeah, to this day she's so, still part of it. That's awesome. Um, so comedian and SNL alum John Lovitz voices the radio. He would then later go on to voice characters in The Simpsons, and he was the titular critic in The Critic, mm -hmm. I think. Yep, Jay yeah, Sherman. It's called... Yep, that's him. Um, and this is something, like, he's not, like, trying to do a different voice. It's just his voice, but I kind of think this is probably one of his best roles. Oh, really? That's just me. I think it is. Yeah. And uh, the late Thor Ravenscroft voices the vacuum cleaner Kirby. And now Thor, he was a bass singer, uh, and he was best known for his very deep voice. voice. And he was also a voice actor back at, since the golden age of animation. A lot of people might recognize, he. Uh, let's see, he voiced the lawyer, Alexander Cook, in the UPA short Rudy Choo Choo, but... Most people know him for singing the song Grim Grin and Gross at a Haunted Mansion in the Disney parks. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was right. the voice of Tony the Tiger for Foster Flakes and sang the uh, song Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch for uh, the animated How the Grinch Store Christmas special. Yeah, I think that's how most people know him is Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch, because that's a very iconic Christmas song. Mm -hmm. You hear it every single year. 
Um, so yeah. Um, and another. And when you oh, hear, sorry. oh, go ahead. No, you no, go, go ahead. ahead. Wait, no, is it my turn again? No, no, no it's uh, your turn it's again. It's my turn. I thought I thought you were going to say something. Okay. And yet another t- late a talent in this attached to the was Phil Hartman, and who was another act SNL alumni. I who voices the air conditioner and the hanging lamp. And for these uh, voices, he impersonates Jack Nicholson and Peter Lorre. Oh, uh, he does a good job. Yeah, I didn't even know it was him until uh, many years later. Uh, and he was also a comedian. And in addition to being on SNL and several comedy movies, he voiced several recurring characters on The Simpsons, like Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure, uh, before his tragic murder. Yeah, he was murdered by his wife. He was also friends yeah. with John Lovitz, too. Yeah, and uh, the story about that is actually kind of sad because apparently Andy really Dick sad. was responsible for... I mean, Harmon's wife was a recovering uh, drug abuser and alcoholic, and allegedly uh-huh. Andy Dick was the one who supplied her with drugs, which caused her to relapse and no, kill Hartman and commit suicide. That would make sense, Um because I know John Lovitz hates Andy Dick. Yeah, because uh, Andy Dick allegedly whispered to Lovitz, I'm going to give you the Phil Hartman curse. You're going to die soon. Yeah. yeah, Andy Dick is actually a dick, but we're not going to get into that here. Thank God. Okay, so the uh, film debuted in 1987, oh, a year before I was born, before making it into Sundance the following year and made history as the first animated movie to ever make it into the festival. Yeah, that's a really big now, deal. It is. Now, um, Disney would pick up the home video and television rights to the film, leading to its TV debut February 27th, 1988. It helped the film gain a wider audience. Now, this is sort of one of those things where it's technically like a Disney film, but Disney doesn't really Yeah, they had no hand in the production, it. and uh, they don't yeah. really own the rights to it, which is why it's not on Disney+. <laughs> Plus. Yeah. Um, so I would actually talk about this just because I've seen both of these. So nearly a decade later, two direct-to-video sequels were released. The Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue and The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars. Okay, so Dr. E. Reeves was critical of these sequels, saying they were treated as projects rather than actual movies. And Deanna Oliver, despite being the toaster in both the movies, was also critical. Felt felt like they were something that had to be done Rather than labor of loved, and they and both of them have never watched the sequels. And I wish I, I hadn't. <laughs> Wait, you've seen them too? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I just want to say something. Um, while the brave little toaster is kind of weird, uh, the brave little toaster to the rescue is not too weird, but the brave little toaster goes to Mars. I mean, it doesn't even it's, sound like a real title. Like when you say it out loud, it so sounds like they're stretching it. Bizarre. Now here's the thing: there was a book entitled "The Little The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars." That was an actual book. Yes, it was a sequel to the first. Oh book. Oh my god! But I don't know if it followed it at all because okay, so spoilers for "The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars." Um. In that, uh, Robbie, the young, the young master, has grown up, and he marries Chris, his girlfriend, and they have a baby. So they, so the um, the appliance is now called the baby, who's named Robbie, um, the little master, and they end up falling in love with him. Well, um, there's this hearing aid that was left in the house, and it's been acting really weird. It goes, um, 
it leaves the house and it's like it's, it looks like he's talking to somebody but it turns out he's like communicating with like machines on mars and they try to um teleport him to mars but they accident teleport accidentally accidentally teleport the baby who so then they have to go to mars and like on their way to mars they meet a bunch of balloons that like their owners let go of their strings so the balloons are just floating up in space it's a very weird scene um and then they go to mars viking one the satellite is there uh, there's a bunch of military toaster, like military appliances, including this really massive um, um, refrigerator called the Supreme Commander. Oh, shit. This is actually pretty accurate to the book. Yeah, uh, it is? Is that what it says? Um, Wait. Oh, I thought you were talking about the uh, book and not the movie. No, 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 the movie. Because oh, okay. I want to just explain how even though this movie is the, fir- the first little Milo toaster is kind of weird. Brave Little Toaster is weird. The, the third one is weirder. Because then... So they want to destroy the Earth because they hate humans. But see... Uh, the little baby touches the, the huge refrigerator. And he turns pink. And that makes him not want to kill humans. It's really, really weird. And again, that's saying a lot. However... The Brave Little Toaster, despite being a very bizarre and kind of weird movie, it works. Mm-hmm. Like, um, again, I've never, I haven't read the book. Um, I think it might be out of print. Um, but that book, the novella, won a bunch of awards. And I think that sort of also shows through with the movie because, like, there is a really, you know, it, I think you can make any story work, if but you have to actually give a crap. Yeah, you definitely. Know? There's no the same goes. There's no such thing as a bad idea. It's all about execution. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. this shouldn't have worked. Because there's the thing. They're not human. You know, they're not humanoid. They're not alive. But they're electronic appliances. Yeah. You care about them, like okay. So at the beginning, it's a little cabin. And there is the toaster, of course, radio, who is this red um, uh, radio with an antenna, a lamp they call Lampy, an electric blanket called Blanky, and then the vacuum cleaner is named Kirby. So they've been here for a pretty long time because it's like a summer home. It's not the home of the, Mm -hmm. the boy who like owned them. He would vacation at the house, but it's been years since he's been there. Um... And they're like, you know, waiting for him. Um, the blanket has like a dream that the master's coming back. But unfortunately, he doesn't. It, it's pretty, pretty sad at the beginning. But OK, so we mentioned Phil Hartman voices the air conditioner. I had forgotten how dark this movie uh, could yeah, be and how scary it can be. Yeah, because he's... Um, <laughs> He taunts the appliances uh, for them foolishly thinking that the the kid or master as they call him would come back one day. And they mm. say that he was just jealous because the master never played with them. And that really stuck enough as he starts <laughs> yeah, 
was ranting about how he never wanted to be put in that wall and it wasn't his fault. And he saw it's overheating and sparks flying out until he explodes. Like, holy crap. Literally. Because, like, they're saying, like, pull the plug, pull the plug, but it, it doesn't do anything. And unfortunately, he explodes. And also, he uh, Phil Hartman was doing, like, an impression of Jack Nicholson. It kind of suited the mm-hmm. air conditioner, oddly. I know some people, I, somebody, I saw a comment, um, someone saying that the impressions date it, but I'm like, I think they work. Um, so after um, that, um, they find out that the cabin is going to be sold. They're all upset. So like, you know, what? let's just go find the little master. Um, but they have to find out how they're going to move. It, it's it's a little funny scene because they try the po- they try a pogo stick that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. They try um, they think try to break into a magic carpet <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> that was see it was funny. <laughs> they lie blanky out. Everyone's on them, and Kirby looks so done. It, it was so funny. Um, they tried the the bed like the bed mattress that doesn't work. And then they find a battery. In the, yeah. like, I think the garage or maybe? Oh, car battery, yeah. And mm-hmm. they plug Kirby the- into it and tie it to a, a rolling office chair and they set out. Mm-hmm. And they sing a song. And it's a pretty simple song. It's actually not that bad for, mm-hmm. like, something that's not Disney. It's one of the times where it's, like, we were trying to imitate Disney and I think they actually did a pretty good job. Um... Now, I'm trying to remember. I think it's uh, night and they all begin to go to sleep, but uh, Blanky, mm-hmm. uh, this is, so this was a justification they said they had it with the characters, like uh, Blanky, because he's a, it's almost childlike and insecure and needs uh, uh, people, uh, so he can be mm-hmm. a bit clingy and... And at first, uh, no one wants to uh, sleep with him, so he has to just sleep alone. Yeah. Like, everyone's a little mean and rude. Yeah, like, um, Lampy, despite being a lamp, he's not very bright. I think... He's really stupid. Kirby uh, is more reserved and always keeps everything inside because he sucks everything up. Up in radio. I think also oh, sorry. Kirby is supposed to be the oldest. Yeah. So the next day, they uh, encounter this uh, swamp full of animals. And let's see, a lot of the animals are pretty uh, mesmerized by the reflection on Tosa's face. And Oh, and then we come to another sad scene. Oh, uh, yeah. When Tosa runs away, he runs into a flower that, because the cheese is reflecting on Tosa, thinks it's another flower. But Tosa says she's now a flower and gets away. Hey. But then he sees the father shriveling up and dying. It's so it's such a short scene, but see the flower was all by itself. So when if salt toaster thought it saw another no. flower, <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so sad when I finally realized what had happened. Again, I just forgot how dark and sad this film was at some points. And again, you don't think it would work, but it does. Now then, at night. Um, they're trying to find shelter, so Blanky becomes a tent, 
And oh, oh gosh, I totally forgot about this too when yeah. I was little. Um, uh, so at first, so, oh, yeah, the dream <clears throat> sequence. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. So this was like really popular, sort of like in the eighties. There was a lot of animated films that featured dream sequences, and the dream sequences were weird because you know dreams are weird, and some of them were scary. Now. This one starts out with the toaster and the little master. The little master is making like some toast and everything seems fine until all of a sudden, like there's a bunch of black smoke coming out of toaster and one of the hands grabs the little master and then out of nowhere, this extremely big Pennywise S clown wearing a firefighter outfit appears and goes, run. Yeah, that's all he oh. says. God, and it gave me chills. Yeah, Toaster's running as he's trying to fight the waterfall, and these sparks rain down from the sky. Like, I didn't get that because apparently they figured, huh, what would be a Toaster be afraid of? And they thought, well, since they would uh, get electrocuted and books because... Because you're not supposed to put a fork in the Toaster. They say that's extremely dangerous Mm -hmm. because that's uh, apparently if you do that like if it hits one of the wires or something it can like really i think you could die Mm -hmm. so like again really dark out of nowhere but then they wake up and there's a storm this scene kind of upset me i mean i knew they were gonna find blanky but blanky gets blown up into the air and they can't see him and lampy of course somehow lampy is still working i don't know how this world works but he he's not plugged in but his bulb is still working but it's starting to dim so he looks at the battery and realizes if I can... Yeah, the battery's like, dead. And, which means he acts like a, a lightning rod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he acts like a lightning rod. He plugs himself in. He stands on the chair and waits for the lightning to hit him so it can power the battery. And here's the thing. You legitimately think he's like dead for a second because he falls over. Yeah, and like, he looks burnt and lamp. light up the shadows. Mm-hmm. But it supercharges the but, battery, and the next morning, as a look yep. for a blanket, turns out he's alive, but barely. Yeah. Kirby saves him. And then, um, so they come across a waterfall, and I think Kirby is afraid of water because he starts to eat his cord. Like he starts freaking out. And then the cord gets stuck in their mouth, like, take it out, take it out. And everyone's freaking out. They push him around to, like, calm him down. But then he's like really mean to them for absolutely no reason. It's like, why are you getting so mad? They didn't do anything. They were trying to help. Yeah. And they... Uh, it was just yes, really mean for yeah. no reason. And as they try to oh, just uh, use Kirby's extended wild to uh, try to shoot himself over the next side of the waterfall. But everyone put Kirby first down. And it's a nice scene where Kirby looks down. Um, with a sad look on his face, and he starts backing away as if he's leaving, but then he just jumps down after him and saves him. Kirby has a heart. <laughs> Even though he pretends that he he told him that he only fell down by accident, they realize he really does care. Yeah. Um, and he saves everybody. Toaster feels bad because Toaster thinks they failed. Um... But the only issue now is that... Um, Battery's gone. Wait, do they go back to bed? Huh? No, no, no. Oh, hang on, we forgot something. I realized after, like, when Blank eats the tent, Lampy asks the Toaster, why are you being so nice to him all of a sudden? And Toaster's like trying to explain 
I think feelings and empathy. Yeah, because this is the scene after he sees that flower dies. Mm-hmm. I think that's. You know what? I think you're you're right. I think that might be why he become why the toaster becomes nicer. Is because maybe he felt mm-hmm. bad about the flower. Um, but he talk. But Lampy like talks about how the first time his light bulb went out and how the little master, the master, uh, replaced it. Mm-hmm. With um, you know, a new light bulb, and how that meant something to him, so he kind of gets it. I'm like, oh, that was a cute little scene. But um, since uh, Kirby can't move, um, they had to. They have to pull him along. Yeah, drag him. I'm with that uh, by his cord. Um, and everything is uh fine until um. They find like they're they're like in this murky bog and they fall into the mud. They can't pull it out because Kirby's too heavy and Kirby can't move. And you think, oh no, this is the end of our friendly quirky appliances until this really big um, guy with big glasses and a bald head grabs the um, radio by the antenna and pulls them out. It's like, oh man, and it's a radio. And then he finds the rest of the appliances. And you're like, oh, someone nice has found them. Um, so he gets into this massive Jeep with huge yeah, monster like truck tires. Truck. I thought that was kind of funny for some reason. Um, and he takes them to his little shop um, and they go into back. Now, um, you know, since you and me both like watch Looney Tunes and a lot of old mm-hmm. cartoons, we know who they are referencing in this. You despise, but some people in um, some people might not. We have probably talked about him before because we talked about um, Mad Monster Party. But the lamp is obviously supposed to be Peter Lorre, and Peter Lorre was a a very active actor back in his days like in the the 40s and the 60s Mm -hmm. and the thing is he was a very sort of he was a unique looking man but that's sort of what made him famous because he was really popular in like um horror movies and murder mysteries he was even in um casablanca but like he was a very prolific actor and he was referenced so much in art and like in general, like if you watch um, almost any Looney Tunes movies, like any Looney Tunes shorts, you'll find mm-hmm. about maybe about mm, like what, maybe 50 percent of them have references to actors and a lot of them feature Peter Lorre. Yeah. And I believe that uh, Ren's voice from Ren Stimpy was inspired by Peter Lorre as well. Oh, totally. Because um, Peter Lorre was Hungarian and uh, Ren's voice sounds Hungarian to me. Um, so, yeah, like. If you watch old cartoons and you're like, who is this person they keep referencing? A very, and if it has something to do sort of like with horror, it's most likely Peter Lorre. Um, Cause, okay, so this is probably one of my favorite songs like from this. Uh. I really <laughs> love this song. And I, I, I remember it's like, there was a while back, it's like, I remember this song, but what was it from? I'm like, oh, it was from the Brave Little Toaster. Um, and yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves though, cause, uh, when they arrive, oh the scene! Yeah, cause oh yeah, uh, when they they arrive to this uh, pot store, and they think the guy's nice, but uh, then they find out that his business, when a customer asks for a blender motor, and they watch him just take apart this motor and tear its blender and tear its motor out. 
I could see a tie fight and oil drips from it when it's done. Now, you know, again, they're appliances, but here's the thing. The way they show what the guy is doing, it makes you feel bad for the blender. It's like, well, he was just murdered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know that's dark, but like... The, the blender is scared when the guy's like, oh, I need a blender motor because they can hear him. And the blender goes to hide. But the guy, his name is Elmo, um, you know, basically kills him. Yeah. And also, a lot of the other appliances do not look that good. And then they start singing. It's a B-movie. Um, and it, they're talking about how, like, you know, eh, you guys are kind of screwed, basically. Mm -hmm. But also it shows that the guy messes with electronics and puts stuff together. Because what did he put together? Like, there was this uh, was like Frankenstein the... on, like, uh, like a, a pine. So it's like a mix between a can opener, an electric safe, and a, a desk lamp. And yeah. And she sounds like that um, uh, one uh, infamous, that one reporter, I think. Oh, Joan Rivers, Joan Rivers yeah. yeah. Again, there's a lot of like ins inspiration from old movies in here, but the song is really good and the scene is actually pretty, I think it's pretty creepy and scary just because, you know, um, in the eyes of the appliances, you know, they would be terrified. To them, this is death. And I think it's just, again, this guy seems so gleeful when he's taking these appliances apart. Um and unfortunately, that same customer comes in, says, do you have any radio tubes? And the radio's like, you gotta, you gotta help me. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. And he's so scared. And they think they hide him. Yeah. But unfortunately, Elmo finds them. Yeah, he spots the antenna. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we gotta do something. And for the first time, Lampy has a good idea. <laughs> yeah, they uh, close, just when... Uh uh, the radio's in a vice. I said uh, they it close the window blinds and pretend the ghost with blanket covering in mm -hmm. them and making spooky noises. And um, the toasters on toaster and blanket are on top of Kirby, and um, Lampy's like under them. So when they get close, Elmo sees himself, but he doesn't realize it's him. Mm -hmm. He's like screaming because I think he's like, "What the hell is this? Oh my god, I can't see. It's super dark. There's my face, but." He gets really freaked out and he runs in, runs into like a pole and knocks himself out. Yeah, and that's <laughs> when it's a jailbreak when all the impines is just jailbreak, flee. Jailbreak. <laughs> they break out. Like there's a refrigerator that breaks the door down. Yeah. And also, Elmo had a dog and the dog just was like, I'm getting out of here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the dog literally jumps in the car and drives away. And all the appliances run away. And I'm just wondering, like, imagine seeing all these, like, appliances just running down the street. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, what on earth did I eat today? <laughs> it was, it's a very fun scene. They uh, take an old uh, baby buggy and instead they use that to travel. Mm -hmm. And they finally reach the city. And... It's where we learned that the uh, the masters are grown up and ready to leave for college. Yep. And uh, he's saying he wants to go to the cabin to take the appliances. Because, I mean, that's kind of what, like, college students do. It's like, well, I'm moving out. Is there anything I can take instead of wasting money on something new? Mm -hmm. However, the appliances in his mother's apartment heard it, and they are not happy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so the thing is, is the um, appliances arrive, like, I think, just as um, Rob leaves. The the master's name is Rob. Um, and the new family appliances are not happy they are here. Um, and, and it turns out they kept the old TV set from the cabin and the new apartment now. But before I can tell them the news about what the master is, the appliances unplug them. See what's clever about how they do the television? It's the face is like a um a guy, a talk show yeah, host like kind of guy. Yeah, I'm like, host. it's so clever. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the thing is, is like, um, again, the appli- these new appliances are not happy that these guys are here, and they go into the song um more, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like that song. It, well, it's called Cutting Edge, but like the main thing is more 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 everything you want yeah and it's more. Uh, and basically them showing off how advanced they are compared to them and they can use it to convince the other appliances that then unwanted and just chuck them right out the window and into the dumpster like <laughs> holy crap it's really messed up but also i feel like this kind of is the opposite of how I feel now. Like, I used to be like, everything up that's upgraded and modern is good, and now I'm like, can we go back to the old thing? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we don't need to have Wi-Fi in everything. It is so ridiculous how everything needs Wi-Fi, but um, Rob reaches the cabin, and at first he's like, what the heck is going? Like, they th- he thinks someone broke in. Oh, uh, yeah, because they see all the uh, failed attempts the appliances did to leave but mm-hmm. he didn't know it was caused by them and just assumed it was a break-in yeah and he's like no where is everything where's the toaster and then you see toaster get thrown into the dumpster where's the lamp get you know like but also um there's this is a nice little scene um before rob heads back he fixes the air conditioner and the air conditioner when rob leaves like starts to cry and yeah. i was like huh a long last he finally sweet. got the master to, uh, as his attention. So, That's all he wanted. He just wanted a little attention. Oh, So, they go, so Tim, no, Rob and Chris go back. I don't know where I got Tim. Um, and the television uh, figures out where the appliances went. So, t- in order to help save them, he's advertising the place. I think it's like Ernie's, Ernie's or something. And then when it doesn't work, he just renames it to a bunch of... Uh, over the top names. Fancy schmancy yeah. places. Yeah. Um, but see, uh, during this time, now I feel like a lot of people may remember this because this is also a very dark scene and it's to a song that's literally called Worthless. Because in the um, the uh, the dump, there's a bunch of old cars and there is a um, huge electromagnet and it is picking up the cars to be crushed and turn them into these tiny little cubes. <clears throat> and it's actually a pretty upsetting and kind of harrowing scene because they're all singing about what they used to do mm-hmm. when they were in their prime. Like once took a Texan to a wedding and it was and once took a surfer followed, to Yuma. Yeah. One thing I didn't catch on is when the uh, car was singing about how they took a Texan to a wedding, wedding uh, mm-hmm. it was immediately followed up by a hearse saying he took a man to a graveyard Hinting that they were the mm-hmm. same person and who delivered that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it's just, it's a sad and upsetting scene because see, the, the electromagnet 
it's silent. It doesn't say anything, but it has this really menacing look. And it's like, it's not even a real thing, but it's like, I am scared of this. Mm-hmm. And I do not like this thing because see, <clears throat> it's the, um, oh, you know, Rob and Chris reach the, the dump and it's obvious they are looking specifically for those five items. But for some reason, this electromagnet is hell bent on sending them to the crusher. <clears throat> yeah, and um, the Pontus uh, soon at first fall into despair since at first they think and grab this one of them anymore, but then they recognize I see him at the dump, and every time they try to reunite with him, it gets picked up back by the magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, see, another thing is uh, Blanky had an old picture of Robbie, and Blanky was very attached to it because it was like the only memory they had of the master. Blanky kept it, but unfortunately, Blanky lost hold of it when they got to the dump. But as it flew out of Blanky's grasp, Rob found it. So he's like, wait, why is this here? So he figures out his stuff is there. But again, this electromagnet, I don't know what's going on with this magnet. It just hates happiness, I guess, because Rob picks up his stuff, but the electromagnet still tries to take it. And in doing so, gets um, uh, Rob too. And Rob falls on the crusher and like a bunch of junk falls on top of him so he can't move. Oh man, this scene like gave me anxiety yeah, like, even though I knew what was like gonna he's happen. He's trying to about <laughs> near the crusher and just when it looks like it's all over, Toaster just sacrifices himself by throwing himself into the gears of the crusher. Gets all mm-hmm. mangled up really badly, but the crusher stops right before it inches away from Rob's hand. Like, that was... <laughs> Oh, geez. Again, I knew it was going to happen, but man, it's just, it, it's a really effective scene. And then Chris was just like, get down there. You're scaring me. She's just like, what the hell are you doing? And Rob, I will say this. I think Rob is a genuine guy. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> instead of throwing the toaster away, he fixes, he fixes toaster. Mm-hmm. And then goes to college with all the appliances. And um, the movie ends on a very positive note. Yeah, simple but sweet. Yeah. And again, this really, this like, again, this is something that I think people would think like, oh, this is stupid. But as we've said, it's the execution. Definitely. The execution is what matters. And the thing is, you care about Toaster, you care about Blanky, you care about Lampy and Radio and Kirby, despite them not being real. Yeah. So yeah, the people who made this film, I mean, they're yeah, like, experts, storytellers. A lot of people who made this uh, would go on to work at Pixar, and it definitely shows. Like, mm-hmm. you can see some of the influence uh, Toy Story got from this. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, that's another thing, you know, Toy Story doesn't feature uh, real people, but, you know, it, it does, it's just they're we not the main end focus. up... Like, yeah, we end up caring about in, toys, yeah. and I think... I, I've said this before. I've seen some people who have tried to do stuff like, um, you know, Toy Story, and they fail just because they fail to make you give a crap about the characters. That can sometimes be really hard. Yeah, like uh, uh, you, people have to care about the characters, and you gotta have them be developed and stand out, mm-hmm. uh, not just because it's because n- just copying a a a just a bullet list of of what the competition is doing, that's that won't get at you anywhere in your film. 
Yeah. And, like, there's been a lot of ripoffs of Toy Story and also, um, like, the Lego movie. They made a um, movie based off, like, bobbleheads. And, and when I saw it, I'm like, oh, God, that Playmobil movie was apparently... Yeah, really it was a massive bomb. <laughs> yeah, and that obviously was, like, trying to, you know, huh. rip off... Um, yeah, someone said... Lego yeah, movie. Yeah, someone said... Play, the Playmobil movie was everything we were worried about the Lego movie would be. <laughs> so, yeah, it ends up being, like, you know, the antithesis to it. So, again, I think it, it's just, like, I think also another thing, one of the reasons I really enjoyed this movie is because it was, it's one of those movies that took kids seriously and didn't dumb anything down for them. Oh, definitely. Because this is another thing we talk about, like, ad nauseum. You guys will probably get tired of us saying it, but... There, a lot of the movies that we review that are for kids, one of the reasons they don't work is because there's no actual stakes. Yeah, like uh, they just, it's like the Alna have equivalent of shaking your dad's car keys. Yeah, like you have to give it some stakes because even kids understand that make, you know, they understand story structure better than some people think they do. Mm-hmm. Like they're not now, afraid, just they looking... never sugarcoat anything and they're not afraid of bringing kids outside their comfort zone. Oh, yeah. But it's like there's enough of a balance of sweet stuff to counteract the scary things. So I was just looking at the Wikipedia page. There apparently was supposed to be a remake. Oh, wow. In CGI. Oh, my God. That would have been. Oh, God. That would have been. Oh, that would have looked so bad. Yeah. Like a lot of these character designs and uh, animation, I don't think they'd be able to. Hold up, well, in CG. Mm-mm. So, Jad, what would you give this out of five? Uh, four and a half. Like... Mm, you know what? I think four yeah, and a half, Yeah, like, too. uh, it's not exactly mind-blowing, but it's a nice film, and and I can appreciate the, and how the, uh, the, you can definitely tell they were passionate about this, this film, at least. Oh, yeah. Like, there was some actual care that went into it. Yeah, and also like um like during the eighties, like animation um kind of era. Yeah, it was, there was a, a lot of decade. Yeah. Well, because uh, the thing was a lot of um animators were just sort of they're like, hey, let's just do what Disney did, but they kind of one, I felt like, you know, there's no passion behind these projects. Two, a lot of them just were like, if we have this this and this will make a good movie, but fail to realize why those all worked. You know, again, we talk about like, you can have um, similar like conventions in a movie, but you also need to understand why those conventions worked and what made them, you know, enjoyable. (laughs) So for this to do so well on its own is a pretty, like pretty impressive. And again, it still really holds up even today. Yeah, um, the full movie's on YouTube. I don't think it got a recent home media release. So definitely Mm-mm, check it out. a very long time. Yeah. So we're going to go into news. And unfortunately, we have to... This one really made me sad. So um, there was a um, YouTube cook... No, no, a TikTok cook, I'm sorry. Named uh, Lynn Yamada. And she... She was a much older woman. She was 67. 
but she made the funniest cooking videos and the food she made looked good, but she just had such a great personality. And what I really liked is how silly she was during the videos. Again, she was in her 60s, but she was like, screw this, I'm still going to be fun. Unfortunately, she passed away on January 1st. She apparently was battling cancer, um, esophagus cancer, and it unfortunately took her. Oh. I was like, when I heard this news, I was about to cry because I, I followed her on TikTok. She was such a ray of sunshine. She was so funny. And she just also gave me hope that, like, you know, even as I get older, I can still, you know, have fun and be silly. So, yeah. Okay, we got to move on. I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, here's um, um, news. So, so recently, uh, me, Kenyon, taking a break from animation. Oh. Yeah. The reason he's saying this is because he felt like uh, he's been in a rut recently. Like, it feels like he's just oh. animating stuff to get views based on trends that he's not exactly uh, enthusiastic about. Like... Uh, Okay. And he says that he wants, the only time he wants to animate is when uh, it's something he's passionate about, even if it doesn't get as many views as his parody videos. Oh, so, mm -hmm. And and also, oh, another, he said, because he only did parodies to, uh, because animation was his only job, at, his YouTube cha animation channel was the only source of income at the time, but then he set up a Patreon and then he set up a second channel, Papa Me, which is like just him reacting to uh, whatever's going on in the world, reviewing movies and shows. Oh, and mm -hmm. since then, that became his main source of income. Um, so oh, okay. he figured to just animate when, and it's something he really wants to do. Okay. And I've seen I... his uh, review of Blood and Honey, and it was hilarious. Oh, I need to yeah, watch it. Yeah, he said it was... Um, he was genuinely angry he spent money to see that movie. Like, you can tell he was angry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And he also reviewed the mean one, which was another horror movie he hated. Like, he's really oh, big on horror. I heard that one was... I kind of heard that one I think might have been a little bit worse from what I understood. Yeah. I don't know how, but... So, um, Meat Cannon, I don't want to say, like, I'm his biggest fan. His animation is... Bizarre. Very over the top. And dark. And grotesque, but... I really respect him as a creator, so I'm really happy he is taking a break. Because I also feel a lot of people don't understand um, animation really does take a long time, but also like the constant grind can really affect people. So I'm very, very happy um, that he is taking a break. Hopefully this will help him and he'll figure out what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have some more kind of upsetting news. Our flag means death. Canceled after two seasons. Oh, I heard amazing and shows about things about this one, and yeah, it's frustrating because Max, if they keep canceling and removing stuff on the streaming surface, which is about sixteen bucks a month if you pay without for no ads, like at this rate, it's not worth the price. It's really not. Like, what's the point? Almost every single original show that has been on Max has been canceled after two seasons. And written off. Yeah, so, I mean, this was really popular, too. Um, I think, I don't know if it won any awards, but, like, this I know had good reviews, so I don't understand what is going on. I mean, I 
you know, we have um, what's his David name? David Zaslav. Zaslav, yeah. yeah. And I keep saying this. Eventually, he's going to probably be kicked out, but it's taking too long. Yeah, he is like I, destroying Max. I think he's up for re-election by the shareholders later this year. Like, uh, oh, there's no way they're going to re-elect him. I mean, Max back when it was HBO Max was already expensive to begin with, but but uh, mm-hmm. they thought it, it was, was worth, worth the it. price because it's HBO. Oh, and we got and mm-hmm. not only do you against everything that's <laughs> on HBO, you also get a bunch of. Business shows and other stuff from the Warner Brothers archives, but now and they they're just burning it to the ground. Classic films. Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing is, Warner Brothers is not doing that well. Mm-hmm. Like the only hit movie they had last year was Barbie and Wonka. And while, um, yeah, and Wonka did good, but not enough to like get them out of the sinkhole they're currently. No, especially with all those flops they had. And remember, we talked about this. A bunch of directors were going to have meetings with Warner Brothers, but after the fum- the fumbling of the bag that was um, Coyote, Coyote versus, versus Acme. Acme, they were like, no, we're not, we're, I don't want to meet with them. Don't yeah. reschedule the meeting. We're just going to. Yeah. That, Y'all know that's bad. Yeah, the thought process was, <laughs> I mean, if they can just write off a film with all this big name talent attached to it, who's to say hey, hey, this wouldn't happen to us? Exactly. Because that film had John Cena. He's a massive yeah, actor Yeah, John right Cena, now, so it's James like, Gunn was right, wrote the script. Yeah, nobody's safe, so it's like, why even risk mm-hmm. it? So yeah, something has to change. All right, so now we've had two um, award shows already. Um, I don't think, I think the Oscars is in February, maybe? Yeah, I can't remember. it's usually in February. And Okay, so this is the Critics' Choice Awards 2024. We have a list of all the winners. Go ahead, Jad. Okay, for best pic- best best picture, best picture, I should say, there were quite a lineup, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. ultimately Oppenheimer won. Not surprising. Um, yeah, like this was. I heard this was Christopher Nolan's best film in years. That's what everyone's saying. I still need to see it. Yeah, same here. Yeah. And for best actor, we got Paul Giamatti from The Holdovers, which Woo! I heard good things about as well. I love Paul mm-hmm. Giamatti. He is a very talented man. He has so much range. It is crazy. And for best actress, as Emma Stone won for Poor Things. And oh, I wanted to see that. Oh. And I heard it was kind of weird, but I heard uh, like the acting and it was really good. And for best supporting actor, Robbie Downey Jr. won in Oppenheimer. Stone proved that he does have a career outside of Marvel. Thank goodness. Because, I mean, I know we kind of rag on the MCU, but Robert Downey Jr. is an insanely talented yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. And for Best Supporting Actress, we got the fine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. And for Best Young Actress slash Actress, Dominic Cesar from The Holdovers again. Damn. That's like man, three I need to see awards this. The Holdovers got so far. And for Best Acting Ensemble, Oppenheimer. Best Director, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer once more. Best Adapted Screenplay, Cole Jefferson for American Fiction. Now, see, I thought this had come out in 2024, but I think this, like, missed the mark. It came... Oh, it initially was released in September 8th, um, September 8th 2023, ah. but I think it got a um, wider release. I've heard this is good. It's based off a book called Erasure by per- Percival Everett. And the title sounds familiar for some reason, and... Uh... And you'll be happy about this. Best and original screenplay, Gotta Goick and Noah Bombash for Barbie. Best yeah! 
cinematography Hoyte van Hoteman for Oppenheimer. Best production design on Sarah Greenwood and Katie Spencer for Barbie. I'm kind of not yeah. surprised. I feel like Barbie is one of the few films in recent years that actually had some detailed sets. And, oh yeah, it looked like a like a toy house come to life from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And best editing, Jennifer LeMay for Oppenheimer. Uh, wow. Yoko's, no wait, best. Jacqueline. Oh, best costume design, Jacqueline Duran from Barbie. Of course. Best hair and makeup. This would be no surprise, but Barbie. Of course. Best special effects, Oppenheimer. And oh, really? Yep. Best comedy, Barbie. And you'll be happy about this. Best animated film, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I have to say, okay, I'm just going to say this. The um, competition was really tough, but why the heck is Wish <laughs> there? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. And best foreign language film, Anatomy of a Fall, never heard of that. And best song, I just, I'm just i just Ken from Barbie. Okay, so three Barbie songs were nominated, so it was going to be one of the Barbie songs or Peaches. Mm-hmm. Peaches, Peaches, Peaches. And best score, Ludwig Göransson for Oppenheimer. Now we're getting into... Okay, t- you want me to do the yeah, television yeah, ones? <clears throat> best drama series, Succession. Best Actor in a Drama Series, Karen Culkin in Succession. Best Actress in Drama Series, Sarah Snook in, you guessed it, Succession. I have not seen Succession. Neither have I. Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, Billy Crudup in The Morning Show. Now, this show I've heard of, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, The Crown, uh, Elizabeth Debicki won for Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Best Comedy Series, The Bear, which I've heard is really good. I need to watch it. Best Actor in a Comedy Series, Jeremy Allen White in The Bear. Best Actress in a Comedy Series, Ao Ejibri in The Bear. Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series, you guessed it, Evan Mosh Barkin in The uh, Bear. It's a sweeping the comedy now, best, genre. I know. I've heard lots of great things about it. Okay. Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, Wait, Meryl Streep is in Only Murders in the Building? Oh. Oh, yeah, my mom loves that, that huh? show. Best Limited Series, Beef. Just Beef. I, I don't know. I, I'd find that funny. Just Beef. Best Movie Made for Television, Quiz Lady. Best l- Actor in a Limited Series or Movie Made for Television, Steve Yoon in Beef. Best Actress in a Limited Series or Movie Made for Television. Television, Ali Wong in Beef. I think Beef was a limited series, not a movie. Now, um, this I haven't heard of, but Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series or Made for Television Movie, uh, Jonathan Bailey and Fellow Travelers. That I don't think I've heard of. Oh, it's a historical romance political thriller. Oh, it's based on a novel. Ooh, that actually sounds interesting. Okay. Best Supporting Actress in a Limited Series or Movie Made for Television, Maria Bello, and you guessed it, Beef. Best Foreign Language Series, Lupin. Best Animated Series, now there was also some stiff competition here. We had Bluey, Bob's Burgers, Harley Quinn, Star Trek The Lower Decks, Young Love, but what won was Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Mm. Yeah, I gotta get around to watching that, but... 
Benjamin says, oh, yeah, me too. is that uh, it's best We're to read the comics so before uh, watching the show. I would recommend it, but I do know that the um, the series like changes things a little. I'm not sure how. I just haven't watched it yet. But the, I also do recommend the manga. The manga's good. And last but not least, best comedy special, John Mulaney, Baby J. No. Oh. So, yeah, congrats to all the winners. Yay, man. I keep saying this, but both me and Jed have like massive backlogs yeah. of stuff we both need to watch. <laughs> Guys, we're trying. There's only so many hours in the day. We can't get through it all. <laughs> Andy, what's all right, on so in then... over cause... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Because now we got the winners for the Emmy Awards. And I'm just reading this. Succession led the way with 27 nominations. Holy oh, crap. Wow. See, I've heard of Succession. I just don't know what it's about. Okay, you had the... Uh, I'll check it out eventually. Okay, I'll read hmm? this then. Uh, for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, Io Edibury for The Bear. Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary. Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, Jennifer Coolidge in The White Lotus. I heard she's fantastic uh, in that. Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, Matthew McFadden for Succession. Yet another Succession win. Uh, outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series, Eben Musbachrach for The Bear. I said the need actor in a Comedy Series, Jeremy Allen White for The Bear. And Outstanding Scripted Variety Series, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. That, that's definitely a worthy win. And Outstanding Supporting and not surprising. Yeah. Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie. Nicey Nash Betts for Dumber Monster, the oh, Jeffrey Dahmer story. Oh. I love Nisi Nash. I didn't know she was in that, but also I thought this show had ended. I guess it ended this year. Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series, Christopher Storer for The Bear. Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series, Christopher Storer for... You guessed it, the bear. Our standing reality Dang. competition, RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, I'm not yeah. surprised. Our standing writing for a variety series, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Our standing variety talk series, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, even though he left a while back. Our standing directing for a limited or anthology series or movie, Lee Sung Jing for Beef. Our standing supporting actor in a limited or anthology series or movie, Paul Walter Hauser for Blackbird. Outstanding writing for a drama series, Jess Armstrong for Succession. Outstanding writing for a limited or anthology series and movie, Lee Sung Jing for Beef. Outstanding directing for a drama series, Mark Malloyd for Succession. Outstanding variety special, live broadcast, Elton John live, farewell from Dodgers Stadium. Uh, oh, I forgot. Yeah, he's like not going to Yeah, he uh, retired, anymore. yeah. Outstanding lead actor in a limited anthology series or movie, Stephen Yoon for Beef. Outstanding lead actress in a limited anthology series or movie, Ali Wong for Beef. Outstanding limited anthology series, you guessed it, Beef. Outstanding. See, yeah. now I want to watch this. Yeah, I mean. Because, man, this so is many one awards. of the awards. Yeah, I'd have to do have a going backlog. Outstanding lead mm -hmm. actor in a drama series, Kieran Culkin for Succession. 
are certainly the actors in a drama series, Sarah Snook as in succession. An outstanding comedy series, who would have guessed it? The Bear. Oh wait, <laughs> no wait, I was thinking of Beef, uh, okay. An outstanding drama series, Succession. Yeah, I, um, see, Succession's like a comedy, like a dark comedy, kind of. It's a dramedy. And I looked at it, and it's like a really rich family who's kind of like at each other's throats. So I'm like, oh, okay, I can kind of see why that would be enjoyable and funny to watch. But yeah, um, I really do think I'm going to check it out. I know this is like the last um, uh, season. Um, but also, I heard lots of good things about Beef, and I love Ali Wong. She was actually the voice of um, one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite shows, Tuka and Birdie. Oh, nice. So yeah, I'll, I'll check her out. She's very funny. All right, so. You got this. On to, okay. So I added a few more things just because I looked at the document like, we don't have enough news. This is one of the rare times where we didn't have enough. So if you guys don't know me, one of the things I like to do is collect. I have various collections. My my Funko, Funko Pop collection is massive. My Build-A-Bear collection is massive. But what I'm getting back into is collecting fashion dolls. Chad, do you know what a fashion doll is? Um, let's see. Something, it's like a doll you can dress up in different clothes. Well, yeah, like, see, the thing about uh, fashion dolls, the main um, aspect, like, the selling point is their fashions. Like, Barbie was a fashion doll before she, you, as she started out. And you have a lot of lines that just focus sort of on fashions, and one of the most popular and most successful ones is Monster High. So, like, I, I kind of sort of, like, Say, like, if you have a girl who's kind of a little more young and maybe more still into, like, earlier stuff, you'll probably get her Barbie. But if you want something with a little more edge, you go to Monster High. So Monster High was inspired by movie monsters, creatures from folklore and mythology and fantasy. And it focused on the children of those famous monsters. Now, this has been done before, but I think Monster High is one of the ones that, like, did it the best. And it also decided to be like, well, since we're dealing with monsters, let's also have them sort of deal and talk about, like, prejudice. So along with the dolls, there was an animated series, multiple movies, um, books, everything. It was super successful. Now, like a lot of doll lines, they'll reboot them. We don't talk about the second Monster High reboot, just like we don't talk about Bruno. Just trust me on this one. So the third reboot has been doing really well. Another thing um, Monster High does is they do collector dolls. They did like um, a Pennywise-inspired Monster High doll. They did Elvira, Mistress of Darkness. They did, um, oh, uh, what, what, uh, what are the, the, the twins from The Shining? So, and these dolls are very good quality. They also do like special collector dolls of their main characters, like uh, Frankie Stein, daughter of the Frankenstein monster, um, Draculaura, daughter of Dracula. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Now, <clears throat> they also sometimes do other collabs, and they're doing a collab with the brand Off White for a brand new doll named Raven Rhapsody. I'm looking at her. I think she might possibly be a gargoyle. I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, but it's going to be exclusively on Mattel Creations. Um, so the chances of you getting it might be kind of slim. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just it's sometimes really hard to get the dolls in in time because I tried to get the um, uh, Monster High uh, Gremlins doll they did. Oh. 
and I missed the window. I didn't know they do a Gremlins still... one. That sounds awesome. The Gremlins one is amazing. I'll show you a picture of it later, but the Gremlins doll looks amazing. And I think this, so I didn't know this, they released two other off-white dolls, one named Harmony Ghoul and what was the other one? I just saw it. Um, Electra Melody. Um, Electra sold out. The other one is still there. Although I'm going to be completely honest for just a second. This doll does not look worth $150. Oh, no. I'm sorry. She just doesn't. There's not a lot of detail to her. So if you want her, maybe, again, not 100% sure. Maybe, wait, I don't know. But um, yeah, so this one's going to be released on January 19th of this year. And uh, this I haven't heard about yet. Uh, the trailer dropped for Madam Web. Yep. Yeah, this is a movie about um, various female Spider-Man characters, I think. Yeah, Madam Web. I think she's a character in the current character in the uh, Spider-Man series, maybe. I don't know much about her mm-hmm. aside for that one uh, Spider-Man game I used to own. Shadow Dimensions. I, I don't know much called. about this either. So it has Dakota Johnson as Cassandra Webb, who is Madame Webb, Sweeney Sweeney as Julia Carpenter, aka Spider Woman, Celeste O'Connor, Maddie Franklin as as Maddie Franklin, aka Spider Woman, and Isabella Merced as Anya Corzon, who is Aranya. I think that's how I'm saying it. I mean, this actually looks pretty. Decent. Yeah. Unlike Morbius. Yo. Yeah. As for those who are wondering why this film is getting made, well, uh, Ma- Sony uh, still owns the uh, uh, film rights to Spider Man and has associated with Spider Man. And mm-hmm. uh, even though they managed to sign a deal with uh, Marvel Studios and apparently the company Disney to. Uh, have Spider-Man elements in a smart MCU now. Oh, um, they still own the film rights to Spider-Man, and they're yeah. hoping to make their own cinematic universe, but with only Spider-Man characters. Yeah, um, they tried with Morbius. That didn't work. Um... And I don't know if it could have worked, but this actually looks much better. The Morbius trailer really didn't um, inspire confidence, and the movie ended up being a bust. And it was like, it became a meme. Yeah, and because of that, like, uh, Sony wasn't aware that people online were being ironic about it and tried to re-release <laughs> it in theaters, and it bombed again! <laughs> we made it lose money twice! I know! <laughs> God, studio executives are so stupid. Oh, God. So, again, this looks like it's... This looks like they just were putting in more effort. Also, I'm just going to say it. I really want more Mm female-led superhero films. We just started getting more. You know, so I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. Me and my friends will probably go see this. Yeah, maybe this this would surprise me. I'm so excited about this. I almost, like, screamed when I heard this. Can I say it? Yeah, yeah. Can I say it? Yeah, it's all you. Oh, wow. <sighs> Finally. 
Guys, you don't understand. Okay, so I'm going to explain this for those of you who don't know what ElfQuest is. So in 1978, a couple by the name of Richard and Wendy Penny made their own comic called ElfQuest. And it's about um, elves, as you can tell, but it's about a tribe of elves called the Wolf Riders. And it's about their journey across the land of um, two moons. And this comic has been around for a very long time. Like I said, it came out in 1978. It's been owned by like multiple different publishing companies. It was owned by Marvel. It was owned by, I think it was owned by DC at one point. Um, but now I think they have the the rights again. No, 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 no. Dark Horse has it, my bad. Because um, see, the Pennies had their own com- have their own company, Warp Graphics. Then Marva owned it. Then the Pennies again. Then DC and then Dark Horse. So it's basically like you know every sprawling epic you love, except it's in comic form. And they've been trying for years to like get other media of it, like a movie or something like that. So the fact that we're finally, finally getting a series after years of asking just makes me so happy. And like the art is really pretty um, and it has a really great story. Um, I will say like, if you're not into epics, you may not like it. I'm still reading through like the original run. Um, I'm getting the big like omnibus collections, but I think it's worth it. They, you know, the Wendy's have done a great job of like being so consistent because they also release the, um, um, the comic, they used to release the comic online. So it's like, you know, the fact that they have stayed with this and continue to make it, I think is very, um, impressive. Also black elves. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised by screen at it. Well, I think, like I said, again, they've been trying a very long time to get this, like, off, like to get a show going. And I know they had to, like, fight. Because I, I kind of feel like it's similar to, like, with the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Because the same, Cawthorn did the same thing. He was like, hey, we have an idea. And he's like, no, I don't like that idea. I'm going to go to someone else. Hey, we have an idea. Don't like that either. Going to go to somewhere else. Bloomhouse Production comes along. He's like, okay, this is perfect. So I think that's what's happening here, too. And thankfully, it's going to be animated. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. see, the reason I'm saying thankfully is because I call, I said they're the wolf riders. That's literally what they do. They ride, ride wolves. This one elf oh, tri- uh, like, tribe. Yeah. Their thing is that they have a very close connection to the wolves. There's like a bunch of different elves. Um, the desert elves are the dark skinned ones because they lived in, you know, the desert and the sun. But there's other elves or some that can fly and stuff like that. But the, the main ones, the wolf riders, have a deep connection with the wolves. And they, the wolves and them like live in harmony and they ride the wolves and everything. So it's like, I don't want to see a bunch of CGI wolves that would look terrible. So yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about this. I am going to be counting down the days. Oh, so happy. And uh, this I haven't heard about until now. Beverly Hills Cops Axel F trailer drops. And I'm surprised they made another Beverly Hills Cops movie. I know. I'm trying to... I don't remember when the last one came out. It's been a very long time, I feel. The last Beverly Hills Cop came out in 1994. Why? It's like... Wait, how many years is that? 30? Let's see. Hang on, I gotta do math. Yeah, it's 30 years. Holy oh, crap. Wow. 
Um, hang. How old is Eddie Murphy? Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy is sixty-two. No, this is not a good idea. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Let him rest, please. Why? Uh, you guys have got to stop dragging these old action stars out and making them do stuff. I am not looking forward to no, this. No, but uh, here's something I am looking forward to. Poster revealed for The Day Deep Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie. Yay! I love this poster. Yeah, it looks it looks amazing. Like, it looks vibrant and the counter potion. It reminds me of uh, a lot of Bob Clamp epic cartoons, which is what they were aiming yeah. for in the art style. The expressions are fantastic for Daffy and Porky, but also the design of the alien. I really like it. I think it suits the um the you know the universe mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm so yeah, excited. For those who don't know, the day the Earth blew up was gonna be a Looney Tunes animated movie starring Porky Pig and Daffy Duck. Uh, but uh trying to save the planet from a surprise alien invasion. And it was gonna be an HBO Max film, but then uh, there was a merger with Discovery. Then H one of HBO Max wasn't Max wasn't interested in anymore because of David South started saying, "No, no more movies going straight to Max." And and they, for some reason they weren't even interested in distributing a Looney Tunes movie either. So they instead tried to sell sell off to movie distributors. Which is insane. Like, they really don't want people to remember watch Looney Tunes. Like, that's insane because it's, it's so a flagship animated series. Well, that and it's like the Looney Tunes are iconic. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows who they are. Yeah, and it's directed by Pete Brown, God, who was the. The uh, showrunner for Looney Tunes cartoons on Max and also creator and voice of Uncle Grandpa. Uh, and yeah. it definitely shows if you saw the shorts. Again, it's just really weird. The way they've been treating the Looney Tunes has been super yeah. bizarre. They deserve so much better. But uh, All right. speaking of deserving so much better... Pinocchio Unstrung, a horror movie from the creators of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, announced. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, this is their part. How many of these are they going to make? They have two other films in production. I don't know. They they want to make a public domain horror cinematic universe for some reason. Um, Guys, please, please, I'm begging you, do not see these movies. I can't do no, it. Pa- I just can't. If you see it, if you actually spend money to watch it, you're part of the problem. Like, yeah. Like, I don't think uh, it's going to do as well as Blood and Honey because they're just riding alone on sack value and public outrage. Well, also, there's going to be other better stuff mm-hmm. coming out. Like, stuff that's worth seeing and horror that's worth seeing. And also, just the thing is, so here's the thing. Let's say, for the sake of argument, this was their only other film they were like working on. I don't think it would be such an issue, but like they're working on that Bambi one and the Peter Land, the Peter Pan one. It's like that's that's three movies. And don't forget Blood and Honey too. People are gonna get tired. Yeah, people are already tired of this, so it's like, no, thank you. Plus, like I think people have done 
a, a scary Pinocchio yeah, story Yeah, went straight before. to video. But no, here's the thing. I read a um, novel called Darling by Kay Ancrum. And I'm going to spoil this. If you guys don't want to hear, you can skip. But um, in that, um, so, I mean, everyone knows the story of Peter Pan. No, no, no. Pinocchio. Not Pinocchio. What am I doing? I think you can do a scary version of Pinocchio. I think yeah, it's possible. The it itself just, was fucked up to begin with. Yeah, and it is kind of creepy. Like, the thing is, in um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, there are some creepy scenes, because you have to remember, it's a wooden boy coming to life. That is kind of creepy. I think the problem is a lot of people are just not, as we said, they're not going to actually put some effort in it. They're just going to be like, hey, look, it's this character you grew up with as a child, and now it's all dark. So, yeah, just skip this, yeah. please. I'm begging you. And uh, you got this one. All righty. So, I think, did I add this or did you add this? I, oh, I added this, right. Okay. Until Dawn video game movie in the works from David F. Sandberg and Gary Doberman. I don't think, have I played Until Dawn? That name sounds familiar. Um, oh, yeah. Somebody until, was saying this oh, is yeah, until, a game with like. Yeah. Sorry, go. Have you played it? Yeah, I uh, played it. It's uh, one of those uh, cinematic narrative horror games. It's from uh, Supermassive Games, which is known for making and these interactive uh, horror movies slash games in a similar faction where you play as different characters and the you guys solve puzzles and the choices you make can impact the story and even get some of the playable characters killed. Hmm. And this was the game that helped kickstart their, their reputation in that space until dawn. <laughs> question then how would this make a good movie because it sounds like you have to have also multiple like you have multiple endings oh uh, yeah 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 oh these are the same people who made the quarry and the dark pictures yep. okay i don't know if this will work as a movie then I'm, I'm like reading through the wikipedia page and what you said it like the player's choices affect the game and the outcome mm-hmm so what's happening? Yeah, I guess Sony's been really gun ho on uh, turning a lot of their uh, games into films and TV shows now. Hmm. Okay. I really wanted to play the quarry. I need to play that. And on until dawn sounds good. Okay. So, do you want to go first with recommendations, you or do you want it. me to? All right. So. First, I'm going to talk about a book I read, because again, I'm trying to read more, and it's called Wicked Fox by Kate Cho. Now, um, I'm going to try very hard to pronounce these names right. I am not Korean. I am American. <clears throat> okay, so it's about a young, an 18-year-old Gumiho-young, and she is a Gumiho. I had to see how to pronounce Gumiho. Gomeho, because I was I, I was pretty sure I was saying it wrong. Um, and she is an untold fox. And in order to survive, she has to drain men of their energy. And because of this, she's had to move multiple times. Um, and she lives with her mother, who is um, seems really cold and unfeeling. But, you know, she loves her mother, and her mother's always tried to protect her. Well, everything is fine until after feeding um, on a full moon, Miho Cross is a path with Jihun, who is being attacked by a goblin. She uh, saves him, but in doing so, um, 
she loses her fox bead, which contains her soul. And because of that, she is now tied to Jihoon. And it's really interesting because it shows, like, you know, um, life in modern-day Seal, um, but also, like, the feelings um, that me and Hoon are dealing with while it's, you know, she's, you know, a magical fox demon, it, there's a lot of relatability into how she struggles with being alone, having to push people away, and the strained relationship she has with her mother. She loves her mother and wants her mother's approval, but she feels like she can't get it. It's really good. It ended up, like, surprising me in a bunch of ways. I highly recommend it. And then my second recommendation is Planet Zoo which is a video game. So I like, and what you would call a cozy gamer. I like games that offer like, you know, some challenge, but I also like games where it's like, we're doing something really simple. Well, Planet Zoo is a very, is like, it reminds me a lot of um, those simulator games I used to play as a kid. But what I really like about Planet Zoo is like, you're building a zoo, but also they, um, they've obviously put a lot of thought and research into it because you can't just like put, the animals in the zoo, and it's like, that's it. It's like, no, you have to build a habitat for them. What does this animal need? What kind of food does it eat? What kind of um, enrichment does it need? What about the temperature? What about the humidity? And I'm like, I actually appreciate that they put some time and thought into this. And the animal designs look very realistic, yet still not Uncanny Valley. So, like, if you want a sort of simple game that's fun to play and you don't have to like put too much thought into it i would suggest planet zoo okay uh my turn my first recommendation is a game vampire survivors now this is a top-down uh uh roguelike uh shooter game and it's kind of shooter but it's based in the old uh, uh medieval times where you play as as a survivor uh, using your unique ability is to uh, fend off infinite hordes of vampires and monsters, trying to survive for 30 minutes in different locations. And each character has their own unique weapon and and skills. And when you defeat vampire monsters, you collect gems that you use to level up to upgrade your abilities, each get new weapons, and, and collect coins to earn permanent upgrades. It's very simple, but uh, addicting. And like, hmm. like, and it is also very, very hard at first. It's not, it sounds like it, there's a bit of a learning curve. Yeah, and they did read DLC recently that adds characters and location based on Japanese Yakoi. And Ooh. it's really fun. It's last time I checked, it's about $5. It's on Steam, Nintendo Switch, and several different platforms. Um, so I managed to get it through Xbox Game Pass, which is how I played it. Oh, cool. And here's my second recommendation. Chances on this might be surprising and obscure, but Dashley and Mut Dick Dashley and Mutley from Goth Enos. Now this was part of the uh DC's Hannah Barbera Beyond push where they were doing uh oh, reboots yeah. of Hannah Barbera shows. I was reimagining them as DC Comics. Some of them were, became ongoing, like Scooby Apocalypse and the Flintstones, while others were one shots like, like Rocky Races for uh, Ever. Uh, and in this case, Jasmine Mutley, written by 
Goth Enos, best known as creator of Preacher and the Boys. I knew that mm-hmm. name sounded familiar. I'm like, that name sounds familiar. And what's interesting is a lot of these ended up like being really successful. Like people actually liked them. And once again, it's all about the execution. <laughs> the a plot follows two uh, Air Force, Force pilots who are investigating and and a uh, fallout by I unlikely stand and with a bomb with a new element called unstableanium, uh, which has uh, unforeseen in effects to anyone who come in contact with. As such, one pilot begins to develop a henna bomb uh, mustache and acted more dastardly, while his co-pilot is turning into a cartoon dog. Uh, again, the fallout uh, soon reaches every corner of the globe, globe as more and more people are fun effects to the uh, unstableanium. Um, and that is so clever. Yeah, like it's... Uh, uh, I, I got, uh, it's an interesting take on the source material and, and gothiness. He knew it was a surreal uh, concept to make this into a comic book, and he has fun with it. That's good. Yeah, it's only six. Some issues. people have a yeah, hard time doing that. It's only six issues long, and you can get it at the entire collection pretty cheap online. Fine. I just added it to my wish list. <laughs> okay, so next week is going to be interesting. The thing we're reviewing, I'm trying to find more info on it. We don't have a lot. It is Baggy, the Monster of Mighty Nature, of Mighty Nature, and we are turning to the world of Ozma Tezuka. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.